0: But here we are now, and it is good to be here now. Um, Psalm 133 one says how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. And I am so thankful to be a part of a church family that dwells together in unity. Lots of different people, lots of different walks of life, lots of different struggles. We're all weak. Uh, we're all wounded in different ways, yet we come together to grow in Jesus and and the church can be so beautiful, but the question, like, what, one, one thing that you wonder is like, well, is that going to last? <laughs> you know, um, the reality is that even once we're saved, we still have sin residing in us, and and unity will at some point be threatened because sinners do what sinners do. We're gonna we're gonna say things uh, that are hurtful to other people. People don't agree on everything all the time. Uh, churches that once seemed healthy and growing are racked with conflict, and people get hurt, and the church can be so beautiful and also so ugly in Acts chapter thirteen and fourteen, we walked with Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. Paul the teacher, Barnabas the encourager, they just seemed like a really, really good team. God worked in a mighty way, saving many people, building up, strengthening believers as they endured a lot of opposition and suffering, but they stuck together through all of that over what was probably about a two-year missionary journey. It was a beautiful thing to see, really. And then it continued into chapter 15. There was this theological debate about who can be saved and how to be saved, and it was kind of Causing some unsettling and some troubling within the church. But the church leaders from various locations got together in Jerusalem and made a decision that really unified the leaders of the church and the church as well. They came to an agreement, put out a letter, and the letter was sent out with leaders. And they went to reassure the Gentile believers that, hey, you don't have to, like, you didn't miss some steps. You didn't have to become Jewish before becoming Jewish christian you're saved and the church responded with rejoicing and the once unsettled church was now being built up and growing again so again man the church is is beautiful and the question is will it last and the answer is uh Well, before we even get to turn the pages, we we stopped last week at chapter 15, verse 35. We're going to pick it up today in chapter 15, verse 36. Just cover the last verses of chapter 15, and then we're going to look at the first 15 of chapter 16. And warning, before we even get to the end of chapter 15, there's some disagreement that results in a split. So, if you're able to, why don't you stand I'm going to pray, and then, uh, then we'll just uh, read the first verses of, of the passage we're going to look at today, and we'll read the rest of them here later. Father, I just thank you that you sent your Son, and that you have sent your Holy Spirit, and that you have given us your Word, and I thank you for the ways that your Holy Spirit has worked through your Word to build up your church. For centuries in various locations all around the world, and I pray that your word would be useful today to build up this church, even drawing people to yourself who are not yet a part of the church. Accomplish that not by the power of my words because I'm weak and I don't always know what I'm saying and I sometimes don't say what I should say. But God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in such a way that your will is done for your glory. Amen. Acts chapter 15. We're going to read just verses 36 to 41. I'm going to preach all the way through 16, 15. We'll read those all before we're done, but look at chapter 15, beginning in verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia. Strengthening the churches. Amen. You can be seated. So, in your bulletin, you will have there a sermon notes and life group guide. Uh, There's going to be a lot of stuff that I wish we had time to cover that I end up kind of throwing in the life group guide. So, if you're not in a life group, maybe you'll find it useful anyway. Uh, But there you can also take notes if that's helpful for you. So, Acts 15 36 through chapter 16, verse 15. Message uh, The the, sermon is just going to be called, Keep Going, and I see that kind of theme coming up in a couple of different ways. Uh, The first one is, Keep Going When There Is Disagreement. Keep going even when there is disagreement. Because what you see here is the partners, Paul and Barnabas, are ready for round two. They've already gone uh, together on about a two-year missionary journey, and they've returned, and now they're ready to go again. Paul has this great idea. Let's go back and revisit those churches. Many of them, they'd already they spent time there, and then on their return journey, they stopped again. So they've been with some of these churches two times already. And now he's saying, "Let's go back." Uh, now we've got this theological debate all ironed out. We know that, that you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The people in Antioch are rejoicing. Let's launch and continue to go on this mission that Jesus has sent us on to the ends of the earth. And let's start by revisiting and strengthening the churches. But then there's this disagreement. We read about it there in verses 37 and following. The disagreement was basically, uh, you know, they had agreed on all these really important things. They had been through so much together. I mean, Imagine how many... Just think of like a family road trip and how many arguments you have and how many threats like, we're going to turn this car around that have to happen before you're even like to Alden, right? Uh, And these guys spent two years together and surely at one point, one of them wanted to, you know, like just get fast food and the other guy wants to go to Perkins. And, you know, like all of that stuff would have happened. Those arguments... But they stuck together through all of it and now they're about to start a second mission trip and they just can't get it together. Because Mark had been their partner for a period of time and then he had deserted them. You can read about that in chapter 13, verse 13. Luke doesn't tell us many of the details, just that Mark left. And so there's this disagreement and it kind of makes sense that Barnabas, I mean he was known as the son of encouragement, he's going to be the guy who says, let's give him another chance. Come on, Paul. And Paul, he's a little more straightforward. He's like, no, we don't got time for that. If he's going to come with us and then just leave us again, we don't have time. we got a mission. And so you can see stuff, can't you? Like, I can see it from Barnabas' perspective. Like, God's given us more chances. Let's give the guy another chance. And you can see it from Paul's perspective. No, the mission's too important. So so it's just a, a regular old disagreement, and we can see it from both sides. You'd hope that the two could work it out, but... They don't verse 39 says and there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other I they, they can't even figure it out enough to figure out how to go together now does that mean that god's not going to use it well no it says they separated from each other but barnabas took mark with him and sailed away to cyprus but paul chose silas and departed having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the lord I love that even though the pair recognizes maybe we just not, we're not going to agree on this. It's not going to work for us to, to be together. I just, I mean, you think about this. Think about Paul. Remember, it was he and Barnabas that went to all these churches before. Every stop, he's going to go back to the church in Lystra, back to the church in Derby. What's the question everybody's going to ask him to be? Where's Barnabas? Like, oh, we kind of we had a thing. You know, so he's going to be reminded of it over and over again. Going to have to just like, and maybe at some point along the line, Paul starts to recognize, man, that was silly, wasn't it? I, I don't know. It does seem, and uh, by the way, um, I think I put it in the life group guide. There, there's indication from the book of 1 Corinthians and the book of 2 Timothy that eventually Mark reconciles with both Barnabas and with Mark, who had deserted him before. Um, that's, that's a beautiful picture, again, of how the church works. But, but he's going to get reminded throughout the trip that Barnabas isn't with them because they had this disagreement, yet in the end the result is, well, now there's two pairs going out. So Paul can only be in one place at one time, so Luke follows Paul and Silas uh, and doesn't say much more about what Barnabas and Mark are doing, but they go to both different areas where they had gone before, uh, and what are they doing when they're there? We'll get to that here in just a moment. But I'm going to have a point of application with each of these uh, points uh, of the message. So application point number one is this. Don't let conflict drive you away from mission. Don't let conflict drive you away from mission. Isn't it strange how little things become big things in the church? I remember my grandpa told me a story. I, their church that my grandpa was a part of when I was growing up was pretty small. I remember asking him, uh, you know, they, they talked about this big church they used to be a part of. I remember asking him, like, well, what, what happened? I might not remember all these details, right? But from my kid memory uh, and what my grandpa told me is they had in one area of the church a picture of Jesus. You know, that kind of like sort of blondish hair, blue-eyed picture of Jesus that everybody has somewhere. They had one of those up and somebody took that down and put some other piece of art up that they thought was more beautiful. And some people, including, I think my grandparents were on the side, they, they wanted the picture of Jesus up, and I'm sure it was more complicated than that, but from what my grandpa told me and what I understood as a kid, the, the church split. So there's now two different churches because of uh, the artwork that was, that was hanging there in the church. The church can easily make a big deal out of really little things. Disagreement between believers can disrupt unity and cause division. People get hurt. And sometimes it happens more than once. It's happened to probably many of you here before. And sometimes the, the casualties start to mount. That people that have experienced that more than one time, maybe at one point sold out servants of Jesus and in the church, start to distance themselves from the church. Trying to protect themselves by not committing to engage at the same level that they once did. One thing we can learn from this passage is that Paul and Barnabas, yeah, they had a conflict. But they didn't let it drive them away from mission. They both knew they were called by God to continue on mission. So they figured out how to get that done. And like I said, I think eventually it looks like reconciled with one another. Let's continue on. The other reason I think we need to be encouraged to keep going and what we see happening in the text is they keep going because churches need to be strengthened. Verse 41 of chapter 15 said this, and he, this is Paul and Silas, went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And then if you skip down to verse 5, it says, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in the numbers daily. Okay? Okay. So, so it seems that the goal for the first leg of this second missionary journey is let's go back to the places where churches already exist and let's strengthen the churches. Okay? So, so Paul and Silas thankfully keep going because churches need to be strengthened. Now, we also get the story here of how a significant partnership that's going to play a role in much of the rest of the New Testament gets started. A uh, relationship between Paul, who would become kind of like a spiritual father to a younger man named Timothy. How did all that get started? Look at verse one. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. Remember, they had been there before, and it says a disciple was there named Timothy the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, okay, so so she was one of the Jews who had heard the gospel, repented, trusted in Jesus. His mom's a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers, this is Timothy, at Lystra and Iconium, and Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. So, just a note, many of Paul's letters that he writes in the New Testament are co authored by Timothy. And actually, two of the letters in the New Testament, we call them 1st and 2nd Timothy, were letters written from Paul to Timothy. That's this same Timothy. Timothy's mom is a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek. He was presumably already a believer by the time Paul shows up there and is commended by the brothers there. So Paul says, Well, I want to take him, right? Let's take him with us. Let's continue on there in verse 3. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him. Hold on, we'll, we'll get there. Because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. Hold on a second. What was the decision made by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem? You don't have to get circumcised, right? So they're out sharing the message, hey, we decided you don't have to be circumcised. And what do they do before they go out on that trip? He makes sure Timothy is circumcised. Well, what's, what's the deal there? The message is, remember though, I think important to remember, the message is you don't have to be circumcised in order to be saved, right? Right? Gentiles don't have to be circumcised to be saved. Timothy, though he had a Jewish mother, was likely uncircumcised because his father was a Greek. So, why would Paul ask Timothy to be circumcised before going out on this mission trip with them? Well, in Galatians 2 3, interestingly, there's another man, Titus, and Titus didn't have to be circumcised. So, why does Timothy have to get circumcised and Titus does not? What's the difference? Well, if you note the goal there, look at verse 3, where it says, He took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Remember that one of the themes that came out of this council was, hey, we're going to do whatever we need to do in order to reach people with the gospel. And that's really, I think, what we see Timothy doing here. If the first leg of this mission trip is mainly to Jewish people, and they know that his father is a Greek, he's not going to be well accepted unless unless he is like them in some way, identifying as Jewish in some way. So Paul's not telling Timothy, hey, in order for you to be saved, you forgot a step, you need to get circumcised. No, he's saying, because of the people that we want to reach, I want you to be circumcised. And so, Timothy does that. Why, why not with Titus? Well, different story with Titus. Titus is not a Jewish believer. And the goal there, for the sake of the gospel, is he's not circumcised in order to show them that you don't need to be circumcised in order to be saved. Okay? So a couple of different approaches based on what the goal is. But Paul and Timothy now, traveling together along with Silas, Go to strengthen the churches. That's what we read there in verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in number daily. So application point number two, doing whatever it takes to strengthen the church. I'm not going to have much to say here, except for, praise God for examples that we have throughout Scripture of people being willing to do whatever it takes in order that other people would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, believe, and be saved. Paul and Silas went back to places where they had tried to kill him before. But he wanted to go back there and strengthen the churches, so he does whatever it takes. Timothy was uncircumcised as an adult and got circumcised in order that more people might hear the gospel and be saved. I think probably all of us could learn something about doing whatever it takes that the gospel might advance actually before we go on let's just pray and ask God to help us with that <laughs> God, God we just need to pause and pray and ask you for help because we really like freedom and comfort it's easy to treat your church like some optional activity um, participating in it maybe as long as nothing else comes up God I pray that you would help us to value our own comfort and freedom less. Help us to risk our lives and make personal sacrifices because we just want to strengthen your church and reach people with the gospel. We just uh, we need help with that. It's really easy to get selfish, comfortable. So, so help us with that. Thank you for the example of people like Paul and Silas and Timothy. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, the next point is this, keep going because God says so. Keep going because God says so. This, this next section is interesting. I just want to, what we've seen is they've already gone to the churches now that they've already been to. So they've been to this city, they've preached the gospel, people came to faith in Jesus, they swung back through, appointed elders, churches are established, now it's the second missionary journey, they've already gone to those places, now they're going to extend the frontier. Okay? They're going to push a little bit further and go to places that they haven't yet gone. And they're gonna, I didn't have time to get a map. I just had to put these slides together this morning when I realized we're going to have a projector. Um, so, so, so they're going like generally a little bit north, but mostly west is where they're heading. Now this is really, really interesting. Uh, go ahead and look at verse 6. I'll just read all of verses 6 through 10. God seems to have a particular destination in mind for them. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, I read that, and I'll just, so there's more questions I have than answers as I read that passage. Like, why would the Holy Spirit forbid them to speak the word of God in Asia? Right? Like, why, why would the Spirit of Jesus not allow them to go into Bithynia? Why did Luke one time say Spirit of Jesus and one time say Holy Spirit? Why, why, how did the Holy Spirit stop them <laughs> when they attempted to do it? They tried to go in Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus wouldn't allow them. What, what did that look like? Did, did they hear a voice that, that said, no, don't go there? Did they see something that prevented them? We, there's a lot of questions that don't get answered as we... Look at these verses. Did the vision that Paul received with the man from Macedonia, it said it came in the night. Was it when he was sleeping? So was it a dream? Or did he wake up and actually see this? We don't know. A lot of stuff we don't know. But here's what we know. Here's what we know. Most of the time, when Paul is determining where to go, the way Luke tells us is that Paul just decides to go somewhere and goes there. Okay? Most of the time, and I have a list in in the life group guide of some passages you can look up to see that, well, here's how Paul decided. Sometimes, sometimes you might recall that Paul decides to go to the next spot because the people in this spot are trying to kill him, right? And so sometimes that's his reason for moving. So most of the time, the language isn't this kind of like, the Holy Spirit wouldn't allow this, and the Spirit of Jesus wouldn't allow that. Most of the time, Paul just like, well, let's go here, and they go there, Right? We also know this, that God is sovereign and he leads his people. We believe that, right? That God is sovereign and he leads his people. In the book of Genesis, how do we see that in the book of Genesis? Remember, God tells Abraham to go from Haran to a place that he will show him. Right, And then in the book of Exodus, how does God lead his people? With a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. In the book of Numbers, God tells his people how to set up camp. And he leads Balaam with a talking donkey. Right? In Joshua, God tells Joshua to lead his people over the Jordan into the promised land and he promises that he will be with them. And here in Acts, God somehow prevents them from veering to the north, Bithynia, or to the south, to Asia, and kind of compels them to keep going west into Macedonia because he has a vision of a man who is calling them there. So, here's a question I want to spend a little bit of time with because this is a question as a pastor that, like, I just had a conversation with somebody the week before this week and again with somebody this week about this question. How does God lead us today? Like, how are we supposed to know where to go, what to do, what decision to make, all of that stuff? How does God lead us today? When I'm headed somewhere new, I'm grateful for a phone that has an app on it that's like my map app. So I just I put in my destination. I know where I'm going, and it usually gives me two or three different options. You can take this route. That takes two minutes longer, but it's a few less miles. Like, you know that stuff, right? That, that makes those decisions. And then as soon as I hit, I want to take this route. Then it just tells me step by step. There's this voice that comes out of my phone that tells me step by step where I should go. That's super handy when you're going to a new place. But many of us are wrestling with big decisions about where to go next and we don't have that like hit the button, hear the voice, right? Some of you are high school students and you're trying to figure out like people keep asking me what I'm going to do next. I don't know. What am I going to do next? That seems like a big decision, right? Some of you, you've been working a job for a period of time and you're like, is it time to go find a different job? Like, is there? how am I supposed to know if I'm supposed to keep doing this or start doing something else? What, what house should I live in? Is this the house that, that we're supposed to live in, or are we supposed to move to a different place? Maybe, maybe, maybe this is the time where we move closer to family. Maybe this is the time where we move to a townhome. Maybe this is the time where we move to assisted living. Like Whatever, whatever decisions we have to make, we're often wondering. They're big decisions. Well, where are we supposed to go? And as Christians, what we want to know is like, well, where's God leading? And unfortunately, you can't just open up a page of Scripture that just kind of tells you, hey, this is the location I want you to go. As an author named Kevin DeYoung says, God does have a specific plan for our lives, but it's not the one He expects us to figure out before we make a decision. God's not obligated to make it clear to us exactly where we are to go before we go there, right? So how do you make decisions? Well, it requires wisdom. Another quote from that same book by Kevin DeYoung. I've often recommended this to people. And actually, hey, quick advertisement. Uh, You maybe saw a bookshelf out there. It says, Pastor's Picks. Um, there's going to be kind of regularly like six, seven, eight books out there that Pastor Nick and I together have said, man, people ask us what book should I read next or what book should I buy for so-and-so. There, there's a lot of junk out there and there's a lot of really good books out there. We're going to have like six or seven books that we have a few copies of on that shelf. And you can just give like a $10 donation or something like that say, yeah, that looks good. This book will be out there uh, next week. Okay, So it'll get kind of figured out this week, be out there next week. But from this book, Um, Called Just Do Something. Uh, I like this quote. It says, His way is not a crystal ball. His way is wisdom. We should stop looking for God to reveal the future to us and remove all risks from our lives. We should start looking to God, His character, and His promises, and thereby have confidence to take risks for His name's sake. I think that's a helpful quote. I, I think the other one, this is a longer one, but I think also helpful. By the way, if you, if you do pick it up, like it's, sometimes you're like, man, I want to read that book. And then you start like, man, that's a long book. It's little. That's how big it is, okay? Little book. Uh, you can do it. Um, but here's a longer quote from it. The decision to be in God's will is not the choice between Memphis and Fargo or engineering or art. It's the daily decision we face to seek God's kingdom or ours. Submit to his lordship or not. Live according to his rules or our own. The question God cares most about is not where should I live, but do I love the Lord with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind? And do I love my neighbor as myself? So then he has this advice So go marry someone, provided you're equally yoked and you actually like being with each other. Go get a job, provided it's not wicked. Go live somewhere, in something, with somebody or nobody. But put aside the passivity and the quest for complete fulfillment and the perfectionism and preoccupation with the future, and for God's sake, start making some decisions in your life. Don't wait for the liver shiver. If you're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you will be in God's will, so just go out and do something. I think that's helpful, straightforward, um, and it seems to have been helpful. As I've, like, You can get paralyzed with all the options that are out in front of us. That happens to me when I go to the grocery store, right? Uh, let alone all of the other decisions that we can make in life. It is good to know the promise of God that even if I settle on the far sides of the sea, even there, Your hand will guide me. Right? You're not going to get away from, from from God's presence wherever you go. Um, and so, that advice of like just seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. All these things will be added to you as well. Just do something. Right? Um, I think that's helpful. Maybe maybe you're like, oh, I wanted the answer. Um, I don't have it. Um, here's what we can do, though. I think if we want to know how God is leading, I think just very basically, what we can see from Scripture is this: pray and ask God for wisdom, James chapter one verse five. Right? Pray and ask God for wisdom, and then read the Word of God, believe the Word of God, and obey the Word of God. Romans chapter twelve verse two: Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may be able to test. Uh, They may be able to discern what is the will of God. How do you know the will of God? Allow the word of God to transform you. Right? And and then maybe, maybe a third thing, seek counsel. (laughs) Like like don't just like, well, God, God God called me this and I and I think this, and nobody else agrees. Well, the people that God has put around you, He's put around you on place, seek counsel from other people. And then make a decision, knowing that God is with you wherever you go. All right. Fourth and final point. Keep going because God opens hearts and saves people. Keep going because God opens hearts and saves people. Now, I bet at the beginning of this, Paul's like, why will the Holy Spirit not let me go down to Asia? I just want to go to a new place and spread the gospel, and the Holy Spirit won't allow it. Why can I not go up to Bithynia? The people there need to hear about Jesus. But the Spirit of Jesus doesn't allow him to. But I bet it becomes clear as he continues west into macedonia and stops in the city of philippi because here's what he experiences we're going to look at it this week and then we're going to finish the rest of the chapter next next week to see more of what happened but let's get started with verses 11 through 15 verses 11 and 12 say this so setting sail from troas we made a direct voyage to samothrace and the following day to neapolis and from there to philippi which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony, and we remained in this city some days. A couple of things I want you to note about that. So God was making it clear somehow that they're not to go north or south, but to just keep going west, and so they do it. Notice another thing about this. Did you notice, like you grammar nerds like me, might have noticed that all of a sudden a first person plural showed up there. All the time, it's been Luke has been narrating the story as they did this, they did that, they did that. Did you notice this in verse 11? So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to some. He doesn't give the details, he doesn't want to be the star of the story, but all of a sudden, Luke has joined them. So, Paul and Silas set out, they add Timothy along the way, and now Dr. Luke jumps on the ship. We don't know where they picked him up. We don't know what his relationship was to them before, but now Luke is with them. He's going to, we're going to see this now in, in part of the book. Notice that sometimes Luke is with them, sometimes he's not. So we made a direct voyage to Samothrace the following day to Neapolis. So that's, that's kind of interesting. And Philippi was a leading city in that area, and Paul and his little team have arrived to preach the gospel And they're about to plant the first church on the continent of Europe. Pretty cool. Okay? Um, So we're going to see that in, in the week to come. But it's going to begin by them just going to find some people to share the gospel with. Normally, remember where Paul likes to go when he shows up in a city? He likes to go to the synagogue. He knows he's got a bunch of common ground with the people there. That's a good place to start. There must not be a heavy Jewish presence as far out as Philippi because... Normally, he would on the Sabbath go to a synagogue, but he's not. He's just going to a place along the riverside and there's some women meeting there. And so they sit down and they make the gospel clear. That's what it says in verses 13 and 14. Look, read it. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Listen to this story now. Verse 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira. Quick note, the city of Thyatira is in Asia, where the Holy Spirit prevented Paul from going. Okay, So her hometown is one of the places where the Holy Spirit said, no, you can't go there. Okay, But this lady who lived there is now doing some business up in the city of Philippi on the continent of Europe. A seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. That is a God-fearing Gentile. So somebody who had come to know something about this, this Jewish God and, and so worship, but like others, like Cornelius, a God-fearing Gentile who had yet to hear the Gospel and be saved. So she's not a believer, but she does worship the Jewish God as a Gentile. But then listen to what God does. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul and after she was baptized, right? So there's this assumption that as God opens up her heart to hear the gospel, she believes and is then baptized. In fact, it says, and her household as well. She urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay, and she prevailed upon us, okay? So brand new believer, uh, the gospel is heard presumably by the other people in her house who also believe the gospel and are baptized as well. So the church is beginning to grow in this city of Philippi. Again, like I said, more on that in next week as we continue to see the work that God does in Philippi. But I love that it points out here, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention. Paul is good at making arguments, but he didn't argue Lydia into salvation, right? Right? God opened her heart. She's saved. Luke doesn't give details of it. Her whole household believes and they're baptized and then they give a spot for Paul and his little team to stay while they minister there in Philippi. So final point of application is this. God opens hearts, so pray and share the gospel with the lost. God opens hearts, so pray and then share the gospel with the lost. God did a work in Philippi by opening up the heart of one woman who heard the gospel and believed, and many more followed. So what should we do? I think we should pray that God would open the hearts of many people, parents. There's all sorts of work that we do as parents. We desperately want our kids to know and worship Jesus, but we can't can't make it happen. Let's pray that God would open the hearts of our children to hear and believe the gospel, whether it comes from us or from someone else. Pray for your co-workers, pray for your neighbors, and then share the gospel, right? It wasn't just that the Lord opened up her heart, the Lord opened up her heart so that she could hear the gospel and believe and be safe. So so, so somebody has to preach, right? I'm grateful that God has that all worked out. (laughs) That this work that he is beginning there in Philippi is a work that he promised to bring to completion. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. We preached over Philippians this summer. What is Philippians 1 verse 6? I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Uh, We're also told in, in Romans chapter 8, there's really good news here. I just want you to hear the good news. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. God is is doing a work. We must pray and be faithful in sharing the gospel as we trust this. Romans chapter 10 is the memory verse for this week. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him Call on him in whom they have not believed. And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Is so encouraging to see God do a work in and through the church. That the church keeps going. Even when there's disagreement. That the church keeps going because they know that believers need to be strengthened. That the church keeps going because we know that lost people need to hear the gospel. And the church keeps going following God's lead as His presence goes with them wherever they go. And that's good news for us as well. That even when there's conflict, believers must keep going as God leads us in church-strengthening, lost-saving mission. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us to keep going. (laughs) That you would help us to keep going even when we just want to give up. Like like life is stressful and it's easy to just disagree with other people and we have all sorts of excuses that we can make for not keeping going. But God, I pray that you would help us to keep going forward on mission with your church even when people in the church have hurt or offended us. God, I pray that you would help us to keep going. That we would be people willing to do whatever it takes to strengthen your church. I pray, God, that you would help us to keep going. That that as we make decisions, we want to do your will. Like in in big things and small things, we want to go where you lead us. It's not always as clear as we want it to be, but help us to keep going. Help us to keep going as we trust you to open people's hearts And save them while we proclaim the gospel. And Thank you God for the truth that we can keep going. (laughs) Because we just don't feel like it. We're like, how am I supposed to keep going? I don't have much left in me. But God, we keep going because, (laughs) not because we're strong, but because you are. Because you're the one who keeps us. Our hope is not in our ability to hold on to you, but in your commitment to hold on to us.